0: The Colorado Equal Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with
1: key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for the week of February 13th. Uh, Alex, happy Valentine's Day. Oh, Rob, you remembered. Absolutely. It's actually a couple days before Valentine's Day. Alex and I are in RSA at San Francisco for the RSA conference.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'm excited about a fun week here. Uh, We've got ISSA uh, events going on, and uh, I'm also speaking on Wednesday morning.
1: Fantastic. Uh, For folks who might want to make the the session, you want to give some details?
0: Sure. So uh, I am speaking on a panel. It's uh, it's about the the day in a life of a CISO, so that should be exciting. 8 a.m. on Wednesday morning. So for those
1: of you that are here, no party in Tuesday night. Bright and early. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, we don't want to kill too much time. Did you like the new lead in we've got? Obviously, we have we have a new, uh, more professional sounding lead in for the for the show.
0: Well, you're not professional. <laughs>
1: yeah, we we actually got C.J. Adams, uh, who's a local voice guy to to give a little lead in, and you guys will see at the end of the episode as well. We have a. We have a uh, exit there, and there's also that new transition, a little treat for folks halfway through the show. Uh, so let's go ahead and kick off with the news. Uh, first thing on our list today is to talk about the uh, a Colorado Business Journal article that was about the biggest risks for small and medium businesses. This was pretty surprising to me. Did you get a chance to review this? You know, I did. Um, there were a couple of statistics in here that really jumped out at me.
0: Um, I think the biggest one, it said more than half a million SMBs will shut down in 2017 because of cybersecurity breaches. That just seems incredible. To me.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, there's also in this article uh, that 60% of SMBs hit by a cyber attack wind up closing their doors within six months of the breach.
0: You know, one of the things that I've always said, Rob, is that, you know, there's not a whole lot of evidence of, of breaches, you know, harming companies in, in a major way. You know, you... You hear the big ones, Target and Home Depot and stuff like that. You know, maybe there's a, a, a short dip, but, you know, eventually those com- companies come back strong. Um, maybe that's
1: not the case with SMBs. Yeah. And it, yeah, it might actually be that those companies who can least afford to, to pay for the security ta- talent and the uh, program are those that most need it. Because, uh, but there's also another piece of data here: correlation and causation. Right? What percentage of these companies weren't going to make it anyway? Right? Exactly. And, and you know, I know that there's a vast uh, majority of companies that don't survive, um, SMBs especially. Anything they just don't survive in, in general. Right. And how much does security contribute? Anyway, don't don't know. Obviously, this is just a really interesting article. Take a look at the show notes to to review for yourself and see what you guys think.
0: Yeah. So uh, next on the list, we have something very exciting. Um, not necessarily security related, but still pretty cool. So in Lone Tree, there is a, a dedicated
1: drone store that just opened. That's pretty fun, huh? I, I didn't number one. I didn't know that there was such thing as a drone store. And number two, holy smoke, this right down the street from us. I got to go take a look at it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, very cool. So that that's fun. Uh, Cyber patriots. So this is one of the one of the neater trends I've seen in the last few years, and and it feels like this is this is one part of a larger trend that's going to really help the industry Um, so cyber patriots it looks like it's basically similar to what ccdc does where you get a group of students together to practice cybersecurity defense uh drills right yeah for sure and this one is
0: uh specifically with altoona middle school which is in the saint vrain school district which is uh, up north sort of longmont uh fort collins that kind of area um, and they have this the Cyber Patriot uh, program going on at their school. So yeah, it, it's a competition,
1: uh, much like CCDC, but, but aimed at uh, at younger kids. So this is the this is the kind of trend that we want to encourage. Anyone listening, if you have the chance to help volunteer and help these programs at your own local schools uh, or wherever they're happening, uh, please do. Take a look at the video in the show notes. We have an, uh, a YouTube video that's kind of highlighting what they're doing there at Altoona. Uh, Granicus has a new CEO name. So Granicus is a, uh, is a locally headquartered company that was recently merged with Gov Delivery in downtown Denver. Uh, the Gra- Granicus has a new CEO. Uh, they, they do play in the security field, mostly delivering into the government. Thought that was interesting news.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, also, another company uh, that, that raised some capital, uh, cloud computing company Faction. Um, I don't know Faction, but they raised $11 million in capital. Again, a- another indication that the, the startup market in Denver is cooking along.
1: Yeah, and, and very similarly, uh, Cloud Elements is another Colorado-based uh, cloud security company and they raised $13 million. So this is a good time to be a Colorado cloud company and it looks like there's quite a bit of equity to, to our capital to be uh, distributed there. Exactly. Um, next story, uh, IQ
0: Navigator. Uh, they're a company that's headquartered in the tech center. Um, I think if you work in the tech center, you probably know that. They have a, a building uh, near Fiddler's Green that has their name on the top of it. I think that that's always a, a pretty cool thing. And uh, they are merging
1: with a company called Beeline, and they're they're getting
0: a new CEO
1: from Beeline. Yeah, so the, the article says merging, but there's kind of a little subtext there. It looks like you know Beeline's the larger company. Beeline's CEO is taking over the new organization. Um, so don't know... I, I do did, I did know one or two folks over at IQ Navigator, but I haven't heard the story yet on what the narrative there is, but uh, it sounds like maybe the larger company might be kind of swallowing the smaller one. Uh, next, uh, DataVale.
0: We talked about DataVale a little bit last oh, that's week. That's where Nancy Phillips went, right? Nancy Phillips is now the CISO at DataVale. Um, they're in the news because they uh, made an acquisition.
1: Um, what do you know about that acquisition, Rob? Well, it, it looks like, you know, uh, DataVale is that, you know, database and data services company. Um, they bought a Toronto-based uh, Navantis company on, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, don't know much about the acquisition other than, you know, DataVale uh, has acquired two companies in the, in the last year or so um, as, as they got a, some pretty big funding uh, recently, and, and that's allowed them to do some additional acquisitions. Sounds like Nancy's gonna have to do some M&A work over there. Yeah, I think, Nancy, due diligence time. Hopefully, actually, you did that quite a while ago. (laughs) Uh, So this isn't security related, but this is pretty neat. I I don't know if you had seen it, but BP, British British Petroleum, is moving their their, uh, North American headquarters from Houston into Denver. Uh, And they're supposed to get here in early 2018.
0: Yeah, and obviously we don't know about what that means for uh, jobs and for security with BP, um, but I think that that's a a pretty good uh, trend that you know we may have some uh, some folks here doing security for BP.
1: Yeah, I I love to see you know people looking at Denver as a destination to bring their companies, um, whether they're security or not. It's going to help the security industry here for sure. Similar yeah. story, uh, Tap Influence, which is a uh, marketing company, is moving their headquarters to Denver. I I don't know Tap Influence. Uh, but it, it sounds like they probably do something with mobile. Uh, that's what it would sound like to me. Again,
0: um, great indication that the business community is, is thriving here in Denver. Uh, so next on the list, we have, uh, I think, what is a really interesting uh, article or set of articles from Matt Sharp. Uh, Matt is the former CISO at uh, Crocs. I think we all know them from the, uh, the Silly Rubber Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Matt actually uh, left Crocs and uh, went on a, I don't know,
1: was it one month, two months, several months? V- was uh, it a vision quest, Matt? It, <laughs> he, Matt, Matt went, he, he left basically to go on a, a tour down in South America, uh, and, and he decided to come back and, and start looking for a new thing at that point. Yeah, but uh, I think one of the things that precipitated him
0: leaving, leaving um, was he got his MBA, and so he has a, a series of articles that he's putting out about um, lessons that he learned Uh, through getting his MBA so we've got a link to the show notes in that very interesting uh, set of articles yeah so
1: I think that the title basically a CISO's MBA lessons so anyone who's in security might want to read this and think about how the how how the business can be better be helped by security Uh, we do have one job change to announce this week congratulations to Dan Colander who is the new CISO at Ball Aerospace Uh, that is really cool Uh,
0: they're of course up in the uh, the Boulder Broomfield kind of area um, you know, Ball is a very large company and the, the aerospace division is, I believe, based here in, in Colorado.
1: It, so Dan um, Dan was previously uh, CISO or Director of Security for Intrado. Uh, and then previous to that, he was the Director of Security at Digital Globe. So we talked last week about how Chris Martinez took the uh, CISO role at Digital Globe. That was Dan's old job. Now Dan's moving over to, to Ball Aerospace. And of course, Brett Bradshaw was the CISO at Ball Aerospace, and Brett was promoted to CIO and had the chance to to kind of backfill his role there at, at Ball.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a really cool promotion for Brett. Maybe he's someone we should get in and talk on the show too. You don't you don't always hear about folks that are in security moving into more general IT, but uh, I think it's it's definitely a path that is worth exploring. Yeah,
1: I'd be interested. To, to, I'd love to talk to Brett and understand what made him you know what decided to do that and, and how that opportunity opened up for him. Yeah, and uh, Rob, I think that we have a a couple updates
0: on Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference.
1: Yeah, so just as a summary for those who weren't with us last week, RMISC, Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference, is Denver's biggest uh, and really uh, only homegrown big security conference. We are in May every year. This year it's going to be May 9th, 10th, and 11th, where we're expanding to that three-day schedule. Uh, Last week we talked about three of the keynotes. This week we were able to confirm the final two keynotes. Uh, So the the keynote closing on Wednesday afternoon is Andre Durand. Andre is my boss at Ping Identity where he is the CEO and founder. Uh, Ping is a 500 plus employee um, identity and access management company, one of the leaders in the industry. Uh, Andre's gonna talk to us about uh, what he's learned in that process about security and hopefully give us some, uh, some tips. Uh, the second person we have who's gonna be doing the opening on Thursday is John Kindervog. And John, uh, I was chasing John to try and do a keynote at RMISC last year, uh, really based on his work that he did at Forrester when he was an analyst there in creating the Zero Trust framework, Zero Trust Networking, Zero Trust Computing framework. Um, when I tried to reach him at Forrester, it was quite ta- challenging with his schedule. Uh, I got very fortunate that John in January uh, left Forrester and he became the CEO, or excuse me, CTO of the field for Palo Alto Networks. Um, And in his new role there, he's a lot more free to do talking and uh, we were able to get him to schedule uh, as a keynote for Thursday morning. So he's going to talk to us about things like, you know, hey, with the realization that the perimeter of the network is not a sufficient control point, um, how do we architect our systems in order to be secure? That's John. Looking forward to that.
0: Very exciting. So that's the news we have for this week. Uh, Let's get into the event calendar. So we've talked about a number of these uh, in the first podcast, but uh, coming up this week on the 15th at Dave & Buster's is the
1: monthly Awasp chapter meeting. Uh, it's going to be around wireless technologies. They always do a great job, a little more technical in nature than some of the other folks in town. Uh, so if you want to learn more about those protocols uh, for wireless, that'd be a good opportunity. And they always have good food. We talked about these next ones, uh, ISACA's February meeting where they're going to have, they're going to talk about two-factor. That's on the, tw- the 16th. Um, CTA also on the 16th have, has a CTA 101 learn about their organization uh, Cloud Security Alliance has their February meeting on the 20th uh, The ISSA um, full day
0: training on building a PKI, PKI infrastructure uh, with open source tools
1: I actually yeah. want to emphasize that one is that one's really exciting where you're going to get just a lot of value, One full, a full day of learning how to do this, hands-on, you should go back to your office the next day and be able to create a PKI infrastructure, or maybe you actually create it during the class, I'm not, I'm not sure, um, but really high value, and if you're an, a member of the chapter, it's absolutely free.
0: Yeah, that's going to be on the, the 21st, I believe, uh, in Boulder, it, mm-hmm. and the
1: 23rd um, down south. 23rd in, in the tech center is sold out, but last I saw the Boulder meeting had a couple of spots left open so uh also the
0: colorado springs issa chapter is having their february meetings uh they do two meetings one is a dinner meeting and one is a lunch meeting so i believe the dinner meeting is on the 22nd and then the following day
1: on the 23rd of february is their lunch meeting yeah cta this is a new one on the uh, on the calendar here cta has a talent innovation and immigration event so this is for any managers who who might want to think more about how can i get talent from other countries if you know visa holders green card holders what what are the options what's that look like so something you know for those of us looking to hire might want to consider
0: yeah and I think that there's
1: gonna be some uh, some lawyers there talking about that so that should be uh, pretty interesting from that aspect Uh, on the 25th Colorado Springs has their free many mini seminar in the the morning Uh, not a lot of details on this meeting but take a look if you're in the Springs at the link and, and learn some more about it so on the the 1st of March The Cyber
0: Summit USA is coming to Denver. Uh, I'm not familiar with their conference in general, uh, but I have received some promotional materials from them. Uh, Does look interesting. Uh, Looks like a sort of a, a higher level executive kind of event. Uh, but this is their first time in Denver, I believe. So uh, we'll have the link in the show notes for where you can check out uh, more details on that event.
1: I think I remember that this is open
0: just to security leaders. Does that sound right to you? That does sound right.
1: Yeah. Also, we don't know the, the group yet, but I, I can tell you some of the speakers on the list are, are pretty good speakers. Also on the first is the uh, CTA
0: Day at the Capitol. So this is another uh, Colorado Technology Association event. They're going to be uh, spending some time at the, the Denver Capitol uh, getting to know our legislators and, and how technology can be impacted by the, the legal climate here in in Colorado.
1: This is really one of the reasons that I like to include CTA. Even though they're not focused on security, they give a, a perspective that we just don't get from any other organizations. You know, getting in front of the, the folks who make laws, giving us the opportunity to, to make a difference to the regulatory and legal uh, landscape here. Anyway, pretty cool stuff.
0: Uh, next, we have the ISSA March meetings, the 7th and 8th of March.
1: Um, Rob, do you have uh, info yeah. on the speakers? So uh, so the 7th, lunchtime uh, up in Boulder, uh, dinner, over dinner will be downtown at the DeVita office near Union Station. The 8th will be at the... That's Oracle still, right? That's an Oracle in the Tech Center. The speaker is going to be Crane Rutten. Crane is actually the same guy who's doing the PKI training in February. Uh, he's going to do a little bit higher level talk at, during the chapter meeting and talk about why he, why you might want something like this um, and talk about why he did it in his own company.
0: And then uh, on the 10th and 11th of March is the Rocky Mountain CCDC. We've talked about uh, CCDC a few times. It's the, the Collegiate Cyber Defense Challenge. So this is the collegiate level uh, program that is similar to the, uh, the Cyber Patriot we mentioned earlier um, and I don't know for sure but I th- they are pretty much always looking for volunteers right. they're looking um, for volunteers yeah so if you check out the link we have uh, in the show notes you should be able to to contact them and uh, and help and
1: volunteer so that gets us through the next month's worth of meetings we'd like to talk about a couple further out than that um, CTA the C level at mile high is on the 16th of March this is a chance to to mingle with the sea level folks of some big local organizations. Snowfrock, uh, Snowfrock is OAS big OWASP Denver's big annual conference, um, and I am I get to announce here I'm going to be doing a keynote there. I just found out this last week they asked me to to do one of the keynote talks, um, and I'll be I think 9 a.m. on the the 16th, and I'll come up with something interesting to talk about hopefully, and, and then I'm also on a panel that same day with uh, with Jim Manico. Uh, Dave Campbell, the CISO over at hosting.com. And, oh, I don't remember off the top of my head who the last one was, I, I apologize. I'll, I'll pull that up here shortly.
0: Uh, but then also, um, we have the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference, as we've mentioned, coming up the 9th through the 11th of May. And then following that is Denver B-Sides on the 12th and 13th. So I think that the last thing that we want to cover here today is um, we're gonna be trying to, to talk a little bit about some of the, the available jobs that are that are in the
1: uh, the area. Yeah. So um, this know. is something that was actually contributed by some of our listeners who reached out and said, "Hey, love what you're talking about. I'd love to know if if you have any if you see guys come across any jobs that are um, that are interesting in the area that you could talk about share with us. By the way, Dan Cornell. Sorry, Dan. Dan is the one of the principals at Denim Group, and he's the uh, he's the last person on the panel that, with, with myself uh, at Snow Snowfrock. Um, so,
0: so on that, that uh, the job front, if you are someone that is hiring and you have an interesting job that you'd love us to talk about, go ahead and, and send it to us at info
1: at securitycom and we'll, we'll put it on the list to talk about in the future. Yeah, awesome. So let's go, we'll go through the list here. We try, we try not to focus too heavily just on leadership roles. Um, we really look for the leadership roles to lead a program and also those individual contributor roles, which we think kind of stand out, well, maybe, maybe something uh, unique and interesting. Top of the list, uh, one of the most desirable jobs here in town is, is Miller, is it Miller? Coors? It's Molson Coors, right? The Molson Corps Senior Director of Security.
0: Yeah, you know, with the, the Miller, Molson Coors, all that stuff, it, it's confusing to me as what their actual company name and, and who's what anymore, but it's a Director of Security over
1: there. I'm pretty sure that this is the replacement for Christine at, at Molson Coors. Uh, so Christine Vanderpool, who we talked about last week, going over to Kaiser uh, Senior Director of Security at Molson Core taken her place. We'll have a we'll have a posting for all these jobs. Uh, next
0: one, Director of Information Security at PDC Energy. Uh, so they are an oil and gas company that
1: is based here in Colorado. Yeah, Pearson has a couple of uh, interesting po- postings here. They have a Director of Security Governance down at Centennial, and they also have a Director of Product Architecture.
0: Yeah, and their, their offices, I believe, are uh, right at uh, South Glen Mall. So that's oh. an interesting oh, nice. location. Yeah. Um, next on the list, um, director of IT infrastructure architecture and security. So if you're someone that has uh, skills in not just security but overall IT, this would be interesting. It's for the company called Karcher. Uh, they seem to make some uh,
1: some construction and in- industrial type uh, products. Yeah, I don't I don't know them, but the the posting looked pretty interesting. Uh, Nordstrom next on the list. Nordstrom has a pretty good sized presence in the tech Center area, uh, and they they're hiring an information security manager. Next,
0: uh, Newmont Mining, they have a global IT and OT security manager. Uh, that could be an interesting challenge. You know, talking about you know your normal IT security, but also you know operation technology, um, you know SCADA systems,
1: and that sort of thing. So that I think their office is right across the street from yours, right? Is that on Dry Creek, just on the north side of the road, east yeah. side of Twenty Five? Yeah, I would assume that this uh, job is at that location, correct? Uh, Jacobs Entertainment, IT security manager. We, I didn't know Jacobs Entertainment when we looked at it though, it was a bunch of casinos that I did know. So it looks like they would probably be securing the network infrastructure for, uh, for some of the casinos up in Blackhawk and Central City.
0: Yeah, so if you want to be in the casino industry, sounds like a, a good job. Uh, and then The last one on the list, um, Kaiser Permanente, they have a user behavior analytics leader position that is open. Um, I put this one in here because user behavior analytics is a you know sort of a cool trend uh, that's that's going on in the industry. Um, so seeing that they have a position open for that, it,
1: it's pretty neat. Well, that brings us to the end of our agenda for news. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, after the break here, you're going to have a chance to listen to Drew Labo. Drew is the or is the CISO for Denver Health. He's also a friend of ours um, who we're going to we talked to a week or so ago, and looking forward to sharing that with everybody. Uh, And take a listen here. After during the break, we have a, a new little transition piece, and we'd love to hear your guys' feedback on this. We're planning to to get some different folks to help us with it each week. So with that, we'll sign off. Thanks, Rob. All right. Hi, this is Merlin Namath, Director of Security at Red Robin. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security, for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security people. this is Rob and Alex. We're here with Drew Labo. Drew is the CISO for Denver Health here in Denver. Drew, welcome to the the show.
2: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: We're really glad to have you. We're going to sit with Drew today and talk a little bit about his experience, uh, how he became the CISO there, uh, where he sees the industry going, what the Colorado security community looks like, and what Drew sees coming in the future. So Drew, just as a starting point, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into security?
2: Interesting story, I'll try to give you the cliff notes. Uh, I was actually working for a software sales company doing data warehousing stuff, not the most exciting stuff in the late 90s. Uh, I kept pushing my boss to get into security solutions. Uh, he, he finally relented, let me get into it. Uh, there was a job locally that opened up as a security auditor and I'd, I had a little bit of software security audits experience, talked my way into that, and from there just launched off and kept working my way up at that organization uh, into a leadership role.
1: What organization was that?
2: Uh, Children's Hospital Colorado.
1: Children's Hospital, I right. You were there until about two years ago, right? Correct. You were yes. leading, you leading the security program there?
2: Yes. And what's kind of funny how I got into technology, it was in the late 90s during the year 2000 scare, I found paid computer programmer training in the newspaper, back when people used to read newspapers, um, applied for this job, got it, um, and then just kind of launched from there into technology and it's was a interesting journey.
1: So what year did you join Children's Hospital?
2: so that was in 2004 okay as a security auditor
1: and i assume at that point they probably didn't have much of a security program did they
2: they did not it was kind of in its infancy and they had a managed services provider uh that they used here in denver that helped augment a lot of what they were doing and then they slowly started bringing a lot of that in-house and let me build that team Um, I, i got promoted from security auditor to security manager and then my boss the director quit unexpectedly and they promoted me to that so it was sink or swim, and I just started swimming.
1: And, and what, what years did each of those steps happen?
2: So it was 2004. I joined as an auditor. In 2005, my boss promoted me to security manager, did not backfill the auditor position. Um, and then he unexpectedly left, and I took the interim role and just kind of hung in there and got through it and then got permanently promoted up to that position. So it was a pretty quick rise. I didn't Is that expect it. that 2005 as well, the director? Yeah, yeah so 2000, wow. 2004 to 2005 <laughs> um, from auditor to manager, 2005 to 2006 – Um, director. uh, And it just kind of went from there. And it was definitely sink or swim. I keep saying that. I was so in over my head. It was pretty terrifying. I made some mistakes along the way, uh, but learned from them. And uh, by some miracle, it was a success.
0: How did you, uh, do you see the role change when you were there? Um, You know, was there a time when people started to pay more attention to security where, you know, maybe HIPAA started to have some more impact on what you were doing?
2: Yes. So, around 2009 the the high-tech act to get a little geeky came out um, and it really it was really HIPAA on steroids there started to be some regulatory fines if you didn't comply or if you had breaches and that really got at people's attention before that everyone kept wondering so what if you don't comply with HIPAA so what if you have a breach uh, I actually had a, a senior leader there say so what happens if we have a breach and before that time before 2009 I had to say well we don't know yet right we thought it might be a, a lawsuit uh, but that that definitely a uh, up the ante for sure. And the brain damage around that as it more, and more got in the news around 2010. And after that, that really started to get everybody's attention.
1: So you, you came in there in 2005, you were a one man shop doing security auditing. Um, when you, you know, I assume over the course of, I know over the course of your time there, the department grew, can you t- give us some history about how it grew and what caused the growth and, and what those different roles did?
2: Yeah, so when I joined, there was a director of security. He was also the director of the project management office I think back then, people didn't quite know what to do with security. So as director of the um, IT, Information Technology Project Management Office, um, then he let me hire two part-time people. It was kind of weird. Two people were going to retire. We combined it into one job. And then we started getting so busy, we went ahead and created another position and brought someone in for that attempt to hire that worked out pretty well. And then we had the managed IT services provider. It was about three and a half FTEs doing some niche hands-on stuff. So your, security.
1: Your team there, were they were they mostly doing uh, compliance type work, doing, you know, IT hands-on like firewall management, what kind of work did the team do?
2: So, we ended up taking over all of the security countermeasures like antivirus. What we found was the IT division would just turn antivirus off if hmm. there were a like a user outage. Um, web email external mail acceptance anti-spam. Again, they would just set exceptions and let spam come in if people weren't getting any email, emails. Yeah so it was really a core competency of caring and nurturing and feeding of these systems so the IT division humbly speaking was kind of screwing it up and they dumped it on us and that's why I needed to build my team because we kept getting all this you know hey there's ever an issue was hey take it over hey you're doing well now take some more stuff on um, and we just had to we just couldn't keep up with it all so
1: so the it sounds like a lot of what you guys did was pretty technical in nature um, but probably the the reasons the drivers for you to have more resources were non-technical in nature, I would assume. You're getting pressure from regulators and and, and legal pressure to to develop the security department. Um, Did that drive visibility of the department higher in the organization?
2: It did. Particularly, we had a a couple of virus outbreaks that really got everybody's attention. And it just kind of grew from there. And that's what really drove it. Virus outbreaks, who's managing antivirus, whoever's managing it's not doing a good job, take it over. Uh, And then with As I mentioned in 2009, the high-tech rule, the board of directors immediately said, we need to talk to whoever's in charge of this stuff, uh, and then senior management said, oh, we have this security manager, which was kind of interesting at that that time, um, and I had actually just been promoted, promoted to director, and um, yeah, the board wanted to know what was going on, what we were doing, and the not very sophisticated, right? A board of directors doesn't know security as a core competency, so they just wanted to know that somebody was paying attention. So,
1: did they bring you into board of directors meetings in the two thousand nine timeframe? Then
2: that's it's funny that now that you mentioned it in hindsight, that's when they re, when I first started getting exposure to the board, and it, yeah. it was because the board was saying, "We want to hear about this stuff." And the chief information officer, kind of a deer in the headlights, saying, "I'm not a security expert." Right. We have this security guy though, Dr- crazy Drew, right? <laughs> um, So they they started bringing me up and having me report up and we started having a a qualified third party assess how well we complied with HIPAA or not. Uh, And at the beginning, HIPAA is kind of a journey. I think all compliance is a journey. Started off pretty poor. um, Weren't formally documenting a lot of what we were doing and we just kind of built those artifacts over time and that we had to present that
1: progress. You know, know, as an outsider looking in, I'd say kudos to to the board for Children's Health for bringing in security in 2009. That's... You know that's before the target breach, right? That's before most board of directors really got interested and, and asked security to come to the to come to the table. And good for you that you got that exposure relatively early on. Any lessons that you learned in talking to the board, um, you know, you could share with the audience ways that you engaged with them that worked well or didn't work well.
2: Yes, they do not want to hear about operational things. Uh, management does not want someone to talk to the board about operational things, even if they think they might be interested. So we had to talk about governance and risk. You know, what are the top three risks items, risk items? And I think it was really less is more. If I try to get geeky or technical, I would see everyone in the room start to just, you know, glaze over, not pay attention, um, and, and really starting to focus on risk. You know, here are the top three, and when they weren't addressed, keep going back. Here are the top three, and the board would say, you know, these three risks have been around for for two years. Why are we not addressing it? And I'd look at management, see what they said about it, right? Um, and it was interesting to watch the board try to dabble in operations a little bit. They would say, we want to approve your funding. The management team would say, nope, you can't do that. That's really an operational thing that we deal with in the budget mm-hmm. cycle. Um, a couple of times I wanted to crawl under a rock because I had the chair of the board saying, I want to approve this initiative and management saying, no, you cannot do that. And it was quite an interesting struggle. So I, I think really the management team wanted me to focus on governance and they wanted me to keep the board focused on governance, right? Not not hands-on budget approval or, or, you know, really operational decisions.
0: I'm curious if the the board ever got into the weeds about how you came up with the risks that you had. So, you know, you you bring up this top three list, is it just sort of carte blanche? Oh, yep, we agree those are the risks because that's what you said, or is it, uh, tell me why, tell me how, what did you do to get here?
2: It was interesting, management scrutinized and challenged everything and would argue, and to your point, they would even say, we don't agree, this is a top risk and then the board it was as much different interaction they trusted me and i wanted to sometimes say to management why don't you see how the board is reacting to me the board seemed to take this approach of you're the professional right you're you've got the certification we hired you to do your job we trust you and then management in the in the background would just argue and and you know try to tell me they didn't agree with some of the risks or didn't agree with how it assessed risk they didn't think th- certain things were high risk and i had to say You hired me to do a job. I literally said this in front of uh, the board and management. You hired me to do this job. Here's what I think the risks are, and I wish you would trust me. Right? It was kind of an awkward situation.
1: So, you know, come from your, I think you were there till 2014, right? So, five five or six years of uh, of experience talking to the board there. Can you give an example of? I'd love to hear the worst thing you brought up to the board that just didn't resonate. You know, went over like a like a rock. Oh, and then the best thing you brought up, and it was really well received.
2: So, I didn't. Re, uh, I'm going to try to to ponder what didn't go over well. Most of it did. I'll I'll give you an example. Um, a little related to security, we had financial auditors that said segregation of duties around code development in the environment was not appropriate. There's room for fraud, conflict of interest, et cetera, et cetera. So, I worked with a the manager development. We put together. You know, you have development then you have test production you have different approval steps so I'm trying to explain this to the board after a material weakness was found by an audit or auditor and they glazed over and finally one of the board members says what's development test and production and then the CIO steps in and says let me use an analogy if you play golf if you go to the driving range that's like development if you play with your buddies that's test um, if you go play a tournament that's production and immediately the board is like oh we, <laughs> now we get it and I'm thinking wow analogies that's a really neat, neat yeah. way to think about it and I realized I could not use jargon I could not get technical and geeky I had to use analogies um speak from a business standpoint to the board because they're not technical right? Yeah. right they're that's not what they're there for so um a success kind of a success we had some identity and access management issues that external auditors kept kept over and over finding as is an issue um, I went to the board and sold them on it that we needed to buy a solution for this and have a program around it. Uh, the board signed off and that's where management said, well, we, we're we not so certain this is really an issue operationally or priority. And then in the background, they said the board approved it, but we're not doing it. And that was interesting. I, I didn't go run to the board and tattletale. Yeah. Um, I just had to accept that, you know, can't really go around management's back unless it's really critical. Hmm. Um, so definitely
1: a learning experience. So taking a step you know, away from the board of directors, which I, I find fascinating, and thanks for sharing your experience there. Um, let's just talk about your overall um, tenure there, uh, nine years or so, the children's health? Yeah, it was about uh, 10 and a half. Uh, yeah. I'd love to hear a story or two, you know, a project that you're extremely proud of and went really well. Um, let's start with there. Give me an ex- example of a, a project that went well
2: so we needed to get compliant with hipaa we had a qualified third party that said we were about half you know 50 percent compliant uh i realized that i needed to attend every audit meeting before i had said just go meet with everyone and report back and i realized if i did not actually sit in these meetings i wasn't aware what was going on so i sat in a meeting and i would hear an administrator say yeah we don't have a policy for whatever you just asked about and i would actually say yes we do and I had to own that they didn't know there was a policy, but at least we had one, right? Um, and I found if I didn't personally attend those meetings as a security leader, it would just go way off base. So we got about 25% more compliance just because I sat in the room and was able to say whether or not this person's aware, we do have a policy on you know, X or Y, you know, whatever they were asking about. Um, so we went, uh, at when I was at Children's, we went from around 50% to 75% compliance. And then when I left, we were at 100%. And a lot of that was because I just sat in the room and, and listened. And then I was able to hear exactly what they were trying to noodle on. Um, ended up writing a bunch of policies myself. Uh, I remember creating an audit program, and the IT division was kind of surprised, how did you create this? And I said, I sat in my office for two hours with my door closed, and I worked. And I th- I think by the time people are done griping about what you have to do to get compliant, you can be halfway done doing the work, right? Just do it. Yeah. So... That was a smashing success, um, and that helped lead to my you know, rising up to director level and everything that comes with that, nice pay raise
0: and all that. So I'm, I'm curious about that. You said when you left you are 100% compliant, you know, some of the, the HIPAA regulations, um, you have to follow certain, uh, certain controls, but other ones are addressable, so you can do compensating controls uh, to essentially uh, cover yourself for those areas. Yes. Uh, were you guys in compliant with, uh, everything sort of, uh, letter by the letter, or did you have to do some, uh, some other things to, to get some mitigating uh, controls, mitigating controls to, to get to where you need to be?
2: So I'm, I, I think I'm old school. There's required and addressable, and I consider it all required. And I was just able to, to do it. So password management, expire your passwords, right? Enforce complexity. You need a disaster recovery plan. We documented it, do a test. We did a tabletop test, documented everything. Reiterated, you know, updated the DR, DR plan. So really, it was one of those again, just do it, um, right? In, instead of instead of arguing or or talking about how hard it was going to be, we just rolled up sleeves and did the work.
1: So I I, I really love to get examples of places where. You had an idea for a project, you went after it, and maybe you got partway down the road and realized it wasn't going to work. Um, maybe you were, you were investing in the wrong place or the company wasn't ready for it. Do you have any examples uh, at Children's of, of projects like that that you could share with us and, and maybe why it didn't work and what you learned from that?
2: I'll, I'll answer it a little differently. It was a, a spectacular failure, as I'll, I'll call it. <laughs> so we, um, getting geeky again, we had a portable media encryption solution. You plug in a flash drive or hard drive, it would automatically encrypt it. We realized in the in the surgical areas we have these devices that plug in with a USB to to a computer, like a scanner or something like that. Um, and we we were thoughtful about it. We said, let's just not install in the operating rooms, right? Let's just leave those alone. We'll accept a little risk. There's more there's more operational risk of causing a problem. So I, I learned a lesson about I don't want to say being a control freak, but being on top of details from a project management perspective. So. One of my guys went in the emergency department, scrubbed up, and got the names of every single machine that was in the operating room. Um, got it to the IT administrator that was going to deliver the software. About 4.30 p.m. the day before we were going to do this, he, my guy sent an email out saying, Hey, I sent the wrong spreadsheet. Here's another spreadsheet that actually is more up to date with everything. Um, I just assumed I didn't want to be a micromanager. I didn't want to be that guy. So I just thought, okay, well, he sent it in time. The guy never checked his email, installed it in, cert, in the surgical areas. They had to cancel some cases. They had to delay some surgeries.
1: So it was that, that list was the list of exceptions. Don't, that, don't yes. push it to these systems. Yes,
2: and I, I, think I should have been more clear about that. Yes, it was really here are all the systems that we don't want to push right. um, the software to. So they literally had to cancel some surgical cases. You know, Talk about sweat, right? red face, sweat dripping. Um, we did a post-mortem on that. We apologized. We said, here's what we're going to do to not let that happen again. A, and everyone just said,
1: "Post-mortem in this situation, and that somebody <laughs> died? probably
2: age." Poor choice of words. <laughs> no one died, fortunately. Um, talk about a spectacular failure, and talk about me learning a lesson of being a control freak. Um, operationally managing every detail of an upgrade of security software, pushing something out. Uh, I got to tell you that when we went to ask for more funding for more stuff, it people did remember that. Hmm. Are you going to screw this up again? That was the you know that was the question. Um, so, and we didn't. So, learn from your mistakes, right? That's all we can do.
1: That's great. Thanks for that story.
2: That was but a rough one.
1: I know a couple of years ago, you you chose to make a change. Um, would you mind just kind of talking through the, the process of, of leaving Children's where you'd been for over a decade and, um, and what that looked like for you? Absolutely.
2: You Absolutely. So, Children's, uh, at Children's Hospital Colorado, I was a director, and it was really kind of an operational, non strategic function. And I really wanted to go to that next level of executive leadership, BSC, so, so I saw this job at Denver Health open up, uh, and I, I think it's kind of like dating, it, when you're a little ambivalent, everybody wants to, to date you, I think, <laughs> um, so I had this great job at Children's, I was happy, um, and just to see what the option was, I went ahead and threw my name in the hat, um, interviewed, and I think it came across that, you know, it, I was really interviewing them, and I it, it was one of those, we got to have this guy, everyone else seems to be desperate for this job, and we have this guy that, um, that seems like he could take it or leave it. And uh, and I think that was a positive. It wasn't that I was rude about it, but I, it was really tell me why I wanna work here, right? Um, that, that was a question I asked. Uh, and just to be at that CISO level was something for my career progression I wanted to do. And it it was funny when I went to leave Children's, this is how it usually works. Oh, well, we don't wanna lose you. Would you like to have a CISO position? And that's where I, I said, you know, I've already made my decision, thank you. Um, and just went ahead and moved on. But to to transition to a CISO, I realized instead of risk-averse security first, I had to help support the business. Uh, and and to me, I found myself agreeing to things that five years before I would have said I would never agree to, hmm. just to enable projects, to enable going to market, right, to enable the business. Uh, and I think that's a big shift that that you have to make as a CISO, right? I know you're both CISOs. Did you experience that as well, trying to change that mindset? Yeah, you
1: know, I, thanks for asking that question you know going from thinking about what's the best way to make us secure as a, as a company to what's the best way to make this company successful right that's that's really the adjustment you're talking about and it's a uh, I think it's really a spectrum right you, you know everyone acknowledges yeah yeah we need to make the company successful but but what does that mean sometimes it means some pretty hard decisions um, and maybe it means that security takes a back seat to to de-risking other parts of the business as we have a new product as we have a new service that we're offering the biggest risk isn't necessarily that um, maybe someone could breach the data in that system the biggest risk is probably that the market may or may not want this product or service Um, and and letting the letting the business de-risk in the appropriate order and getting in line and making sure it's built in and not bolted on that that process is a uh, it's a learning process. I don't think there's a right answer, but there's a spectrum for us to be aware of. And the most important thing I think is having a, a seat at that table where you can talk about the trade-off, making sure that the business is aware what those risks are, and uh, and and as long as everyone's on the same page and understands what the risks are, I think you're doing your job pretty well. Alex, you have any thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think you know part of that too is making sure that you can realize when it is that you have to have um, you know all of your security controls built in you know, before going forward with something, as opposed to, you know, taking baby steps, you know, ensuring that it really matches up to the risks that you're talking about. Um, You know, there are plenty of times when um, I've been in projects where people have said, oh, well, you know, we have to do all this stuff before we can go live, Mm. because those are all the required security controls or whatever it might be. Um, And, you know, if you take a step back and say, okay, well, if we don't do this or this or this, it's going to allow us to to move much fa- faster, and, you know, what is the risk that we're actually taking by not doing that? If, if that's acceptable, um, then, you know, then we move forward. I think it also helps to realize that, you know, in the end, this is all business. It's not security. It's um, it's making sure that the, the risks are um, identified and, you know, either reduced or accepted by the appropriate people. And most of the time that acceptance is not the security people.
2: Absolutely. I. I had an interesting situation with it where I learned you have to ask questions. So it was some new software, was not secure like I wanted it, and I was really concerned about opening it up outside of our perimeter. And I was so focused on that. And finally I asked, Does anyone externally need to use this? And the response was no, it's all gonna be within the hospital. So I just reduced right, that's a huge risk reduction. And um you know, to your point, out you can't make assumptions about what right what the project is going to do sometimes, right? I assumed it was going to need to be remotely accessible i asked and they said it didn't and i thought well that just you know i got rid of a lot of my worry right reduced a lot of risk
1: so so you started it at uh denver health was april may something like that 2014
2: yeah may of 2014
1: and you'd been at children's hospital for over a decade you go into a new environment just talk to us about that learning that new environment how do you you know obviously you want to you want to impress your new boss. You want you want to come in and, and make a difference right off the bat. What did that that ramping up process look like for you?
2: So I told myself that I was not going to do anything for ninety days, maybe one hundred and eighty days, and I completely violated that immediately. <laughs> um, I found low hanging fruit. I found some contractual issues um, that we had some templates. And my first day, I was telling the attorneys we're going to add a few things into that, um, and so I just really hit the ground running, maybe a little too fast, but. Um, also treading a little lightly as far as learning who people are i i I realized just like everywhere there are a few people you just do not want to cross you don't even want to come close to stepping on their toes um so i had to figure that out and i I was a little cautious about that ask questions and i observed a few people that pulled you know had a lot of power and you just did not want to make them upset um so if i had a big thing i need to bring to the management team i would go count my votes as they call it i would go meet with individuals say what do you think about this or you know do you support it do you have concerns um and I, I found there a few times people were aligned and i they were all ready to approve it before i even got there um other times i had a couple of stakeholders that pulled a lot of power that were just adamant adamant that we were not going to do something and i realized i can't i can't even take it to management yet right so uh on one hand for low-hanging fruit fruit things that i felt were within my authority i just went to town and i proved myself and took control For other things, I I was a little more cautious and wanted to learn the politics. And I think that was more important than anything politically. You know, Who do I need to get support from in in certain areas? Um, One other thing I realized is that the organization had education fatigue, Mm. right? So I had all these security initiatives I wanted to start educating people on. And I realized there were so many other things around clinical care that they were already overloaded with that I just had to hold off. Yeah. Um, And I, I thought that was key. So really, to your point, I was trying to adjust to the culture rather than make it adjust to me, uh, and I, and that was a big deal for me. I went, I was used to the culture, ten and a half years at, at a certain place, and I stepped into a completely different culture. Right. So.
1: So who's your boss at Denver Health?
2: So I report to General Counsel in legal, and he reports to the CEO.
1: And, you know, does that give you a different perspective than you know? being on the IT side or, or, or can you talk to me about what it means to report to general counsel?
2: Yes, it, it, it has pros and cons. As a pro, it made me really start to think more about risk rather than technical controls. Uh, and you brought that up. You have a good point, Alex, around, if you look at HIPAA, there's all these controls and safeguards you're expected to get in place. And I realized that's all fine and dandy, but it, it's about risk. What's the real risk, right? And ha- how do I prioritize getting those controls in place? And general counsels understand risk very well. So if you say we need to do something because HIPAA says they don't, that doesn't bring with them, right? If you break down here are the risks, here's why we need to do something, here's what might happen if we don't, it, it's a much different conversation. And I, I think they're really good at risk. And general counsel would challenge me. I would bring a risk up and they would say, really? Well, it's, let's talk about some other risks, right? If you do this, and very educational for me
1: the general counsel knows that there's a lot of regulations out there and that we don't comply with all of them. Correct. <laughs> so, so just the fact that there's a regulation doesn't mean we're necessarily going to go do it.
2: Correct. And then there's some candid conversations always wanting to do the right thing, of course, but it's really, what are the odds that this is really going to be a problem? What are the odds that anyone's ever going to know about doing, you know, if we do or don't do something as far as prioritizing and when we're going to do it. So um, not technologists though. So talk about trying to, 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 to communicate technical issues to someone that's not technical is the art, I think, of a of being a CISO. And I I've had to have some conversations where I've quote unquote dumbed it down the best I can, um, and it's still not simple enough. And that that's quite a learning curve as well. How do I speak the language of someone that has knows nothing about technology, someone that doesn't care about technology, right? Um,
1: hmm. So you know you've been there, coming up on two years now. And I'd love to hear, you know, what you're most proud of in your two years there. Uh, what have you gone after successfully? And maybe give the same story you did over at Children's.
2: So it it's literally the same situation at Children's. I came into a, a situation where the organization was doing a lot of great things, but they had not formally documented what they were doing. Um, so even though we were compliant with HIPAA, we weren't, right, because we, we couldn't prove that we were. So um, rolled up the sleeves. I did what's called a business impact analysis, From if you're familiar with that term. Really prioritizing how critical systems are or not, the organization um, defining recovery time objectives and recovery point objectives, uh, and I think that's what I'm most proud of is that component of compliance. And when I went to the IT division, they were trying to do that. They were trying to define how important the technology was for their users in the business and clinical sides. Does that sound a little odd to you that the IT division is going to decide how important other the technology is for other people? And they, I had this crazy idea to meet with business units, and they thought I was insane. Like, what do they know about technology? Uh, I had to tell them, well, they use the technology right on a daily basis. I think we should be asking them how important this is or not. And what the business came back wa- with was a lot of the most critical systems in the organization weren't that critical, hmm. right? And a lot of what the IT division thought was critical. And a lot of systems that the IT division didn't really think were that big of a deal were ultra-critical, hmm. So an example would be um, the closed circuit television system in the organization didn't contribute to revenue, um, doesn't necessarily contribute to patient care. but everyone talked about how important all that footage is if you have um, someone fall in your hospital, right? Someone says I fell and hurt myself. It's interesting sometimes you review tape and you see that that did not happen. Hmm. right. So the IT division was kind of neglecting this system uh, and it wasn't their fault. they just you know it's not health, it's not a healthcare system, right? Um, the business units came back and said one of the most critical systems in the hospital and that was a big wake-up call so um, in addition to getting compliant just just doing that exercise um, to satisfy HIPAA requirements and also to open the IT divisions eyes that the the end users are really the ones that know how critical these systems are or not um, to me was a big deal and we got it that could be a six month to year project and we got it done in three months so yeah and I the hardest part of that project was getting people to show up. So hmm. I sent these invites out, and I would literally not hear back, and I would walk to people's offices, um, sometimes with coffee, right? sometimes with donuts, just say, hey, I invited you to this meeting. I didn't hear back. Um, and I spent more effort getting people to show up than anything, hmm. which was who knew, right? Yeah.
1: So you know, you and I obviously have got to know each other pretty well over the last maybe three years or yep. so, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know that you have been doing consulting for the last few years, and I find that interesting to you know, have a full-time job running uh, the security program for you know, one of the biggest health organizations in Colorado, um, but also you know, having a side side consulting business. Can you talk about you know, how did that start up, and, and where does that fit into your life?
2: Yeah, so my wife would agree with you that I'm crazy to try to do both. It, it gets tough. Um, I made a decision a few years ago that I wanted to just give it a try, and I actually had a Formal general counsel that I reported to at Children's called me, and he was working for a legal firm. They were having a contract dispute with with two organizations around technology, and he picked my brain. I gave him some pointers, and the pointers I gave him pointed him in the right direction to actually rescue this this contract dispute. Hmm. And he said, that was really useful. Did you ever think about consulting? And that right that was the moment, thinking back on it, where I thought, maybe I should. Uh, and I didn't know how to start that. And it was pretty silly when I first tried to start. So I would have vendors say, hey, do you want to grab lunch? And I would say, well, yeah, my rate's 150 an hour. And they would not get back to me. Imagine that, mm-hmm. right? Um, I didn't know the difference between networking and trying to build my consulting practice. Um, so I had a buddy who had his own landscape architecture firm, right? Nothing to do with security, but he consulted. Um, he said that he had learned, get a website, get a business card, get a logo. And he hooked me up with the guy that did that for him. Um, and the idea is if you meet someone and you introduce yourself, you don't want to just have a hotmail address, right? Not have a business card. So I had that all teed up, just started networking, started getting referrals, and it, and it just took off. Um, and I found myself bef- many times giving free advice to people. People would just call and pick my brain, and they would come back and say that was really good advice, that was helpful. And I thought, why don't I start charging for this, right, mm-hmm. and and see see what I can do. Uh, it It's definitely lucrative, but to try to do – both at the same time, it's nights, weekends, and personal time off. So instead of going on vacation, I took a week off and went and did a big project. <laughs> um, the wife was not happy, but I've heard several mentors um, that have done their own thing, and they what they applauded was instead of going cold turkey, instead of saying I'm going to quit my job and right now start a consulting firm, I went ahead and phased that in over th- several years. Yeah. Um, and it it was there are definitely some stressful times. Um, you know at midnight when a project is due the next day for a client and i'm not done yet mm. pretty scary right yeah. um but just was able to power power through and one thing i like about that um small medium business don't really have people that want to consult with them in healthcare. um usually it's the you know the big players like kaiser children's hospital colorado they will engage with an audit firm but these the small guys don't have a lot of money to spend um, and, and that's been a niche to be able to help them out and, and share knowledge I've also worked with some startups um, and they like knowing that someone understands it has to be stage appropriate. So if I were to say you need to spend a half million dollars in security, their response might be, we don't even have $50,000. not going to happen, right? right? So how do you phase that in over over time and, and help them get their business? So,
1: so have you been focusing on, on healthcare then, I assume? Yes. HIPAA compliance and HIPAA, risk assessments and so forth?
2: HIPAA compliance, risk analysis, HIPAA training. Um, I've gotten some... some clients out of trouble with the government where they didn't do anything wrong, but you have to prove you didn't do anything wrong Hmm. um, around a patient complaint or a disgruntled employee. Um, So that's been pretty satisfying. So the reason I focus on healthcare for better, for worse, I became a healthcare guy. I have an MBA in health administration, all that experience at children's hospital, Colorado and now Denver health. But I I realized I can talk about non-security things, right? What are their business challenges? What are their struggles? Um, what do they do when they have doctors that are angry at their security stuff? Like, how do they navigate that? So I find, I would say about half of the advice I give ends up not, as part of that relationship, ends up not having anything to do with security.
1: Yeah. Well, if, if anyone's listening and wants to reach out to you about your side business, what what's the website or what's your email?
2: So it's a Rocky Mountain HIPAA Guru. It's a www.rmhguru.com. So thanks cool. for the quick plug no, there. No, absolutely. <laughs>
1: Um, so another thing that I know you've, you've been doing, and, and I certainly appreciate it, is um, you've been helping lead the industry verticals uh, effort for ISSA Denver, which is, of course, the world's largest ISSA chapter with well over 500 members at this point. Um, so Talk to me a little bit about what you've been doing there and, and where you see that going.
2: So as we had talked a while back about having events, I had this crazy idea, right? If you get people in the same industry together, what would that look like as compared to just everyone from every industry coming together for an ISSA meeting? Uh, so, a bit of an experiment. Um, we've done two healthcare meetings so far, and I've, I've I know more than two people that found jobs through just going to those meetings, which is pretty neat. Um, and the idea is really let's talk about security in the context of healthcare and what and what do we struggle with, right? Um, and we try to make, make it a blend of something for everyone. So we do some high-level non techy talks, and then we've gone way into the weeds with, you know, full-on. Here's some web application penetration testing. Um, and I found that the geeks in the audience will say, "I really appreciated hearing the non-geeky stuff." Right? It, it kind of opened their eyes uh, around dealing with politics, around leadership, and then vice versa. Some of the non-technical people were just fascinated to see someone attack a website. Right? And that was pretty neat. Um, we also have a financial vertical. We're having our first meeting this month um, in Breckenridge, the Breckenridge Brewery down the Tech Center. Can't wait to see what that's going to look like. Um, it's At Maggiano's. Oh, it's at Maggiano's. Maggiano's they switched the gears. Center. You can edit that out, right? Um, so we'll, we'll decide that. So we're having um, our first uh, financial vertical meeting at Maggiano's down the Tech Center this month. Can't wait to see what that's like. I'm gonna, even though I'm a healthcare guy, I'm gonna join that just see what it looks like.
1: Yeah. And I know we're we're looking at a, a governance a government vertical as well and I, I think what we're talking like two to three meetings a year per vertical correct so versus the monthly meeting we have for the the whole chapter for issa looking at uh less frequently but longer meetings kind of half day format with more time for networking more time for education
2: yes and, and really the idea is if you work in 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 a, you know finance vertical government we're going to talk about the things that you experience every day um security related and, and beyond security even and just networking and getting to know people in your industry is, is pretty cool as compared to just networking with people that might work in another industry and not really, you know, get what you, what you go through every day. We like to compare war stories. All right. Security can be sure. tough. Um, trying to get people to do what they don't want to do. Um, and just comparing ways, techniques, how do you, how do you win people over? How do you, how do you succeed? has been pretty neat to see that, see people sharing those ideas.
1: So take, let's go broaden out a little bit from, um, just the issa vertical stuff just let's talk about colorado or denver security community in general you know you've been you've been doing security here for quite a while um i i don't think you've really kind of stepped out of your niche until a few years ago but in the last few years you've been pretty active in the community can you talk yeah. about what your experience has been like what your impressions of the community here has been
2: yeah so from the inside looking in um we have a great security crew here we have people that know what they're doing um, great CISO community in particular uh Pretty kindred spirits. A lot of people live here because we like the outdoors, right? We appreciate Colorado. Um, pretty laid-back community, I think, um, especially compared to the coasts. I think We're pretty laid-back here in Colorado. Um, friendly people. I've been pretty excited. I've actually made some great friends um, through ISSA and through being part of the community. And then when I hear others talk, they're, people are pleasantly surprised that they think Colorado, and particularly in Denver, is one of the best in the country. Um, I've heard people talk about Washington D.C., Boston, and Denver as a top three, and mm-hmm. then I've even heard some people argue better than the Bay Area, mm-hmm. right? As far as the dedication and the the community being active, uh, so it's it's been really cool. And and again, the friendships I've made, um, it's good to compare security notes, but also good to share a beer, right? And yeah. maybe go skiing. So we've got a really good community here, and I've I've been pretty excited about it.
1: So you know, obviously, the, this is the Colorado equals security podcast. So it's a focus for us. Um, as we look to get better, a couple questions for you, for the community at large, um, for those who either are currently CISOs or who'd like to be um, security leaders in the future, what's a couple of pieces of advice you could give them to to do their job better or their future job better?
2: So certifications, I think, hold a lot of weight. And I think if, I think you can learn a lot from certifications. And when I see hiring taking place, I see security managers wanting to see certifications in place on resumes. Hmm. Um, and I've seen a pool of candidates be Kind of whittled down based on the certifications they have or not. Um, the what, second, what
1: certifications would you uh, recommend people go after?
2: So, the CISSP is interesting. I, I think it's it, it's kind of polarizing. Some people will say, ah, CISSP is not really hands on. It's generalist. Um, but to be a generalist and understand understand enterprise architecture and how it works together, I think is is pretty you know pretty neat. Um, especially to assess risk. I think the C risk, um, the ISACA certification is good. Mm-hmm. Um.
1: You know, I, I think your your feedback on CISSP is pretty good. You know, it's it's not going to help you do your day to day job very well. It, I don't think that CISSP helps you program a firewall or be better at risk assessments. But what it does is really helps you have those conversations with folks in different disciplines uh, and understand what it means when they talk about. You know, if you're if you're a, a firewall guy, when someone talks to you about physical security, if you haven't taken that kind of curriculum to learn the stuff in CISSP, you might not understand. You know, the crossover rate uh, for you know false positives and false negatives for biometrics. And these are things you learn at a high level from that certification. That I think it's pretty valuable. I, I, I affirm what you're saying there.
2: I like the way you said that. It's not going to help you hands-on acquire skills to configure a firewall, right, or do penetration testing. But for me, and Alex, you talked about compensating controls. There are times where I've seen a glaring weakness um, in a certain area and I realized because of the domains and the CISSP, we have all these other compensating controls in place that I probably would have never thought about. Yeah. Um, that that high-risk item that we that we have in place is not really high-risk, right? We have all these other controls in place. Right. Um, quick example, do you want to encrypt all the disks in your data center, right, the servers? What are the odds someone's going to get in there and actually physically get those out of there, right? Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden, this, this high, high risk of not encrypting servers in, in theory in a physically secure data center where no one's ever literally going to be able to get them out knock on wood right um i think that's something without a CISSP you, you can't see the forest through the trees so to speak um we talk about the c-risk which i think is good um certified information security auditor if you want to do audit work can be good but i think the idea is that it shows that you you're dedicated you you focus on a core competency you got through it um and that's how i started i remember my boss saying you don't know a ton about security go get a CISSP I remember saying, "Well, maybe in a year." And he said, "Well, there's one in two months. Go <laughs> get them, right?" Um, so I think if someone wants to do it, go schedule an exam and make yourself do it. Don't you know? Don't think, "Well, I'm going to study for a while and then and then work my way into scheduling an exam. Schedule the exam, and it'll make you do it." Hmm. Um, being technical is key. Pick up a book or Google. You know, get on Google. Um, I've seen some non-technical security leaders, and frankly, sometimes it can get embarrassing, right? Um, I don't expect security leaders to configure a firewall, to use that example again, but they need to know how a firewall works, what an access control list is. Um, so definitely be technical. And then um, networking, right? M- meet people, build relationships. Um, and what I finally found, if anyone wants to meet up for coffee, in the past I was, you know, years ago I'd be really busy, didn't really know what, what anybody was going to get out of it. But now, if anyone wants to meet up, I'll, I'll meet with almost anybody And it. The, the relationships that I've built, um, both around my career and around consulting, just by meeting people and being nice, wanting to get to know people, has been huge. So certifications, um, get technical, and, and meet people.
1: Awesome. Alex, you have any last questions for Drew? I don't think so. This has been great.
2: Thanks, guys. Drew,
1: thanks for any last comments for the group.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, if you're going to be a CISO, as as you guys said, it, it's usually not a security company you're working for, and even if it is, um, they have other priorities, right? Business priorities. So remember, security is there to enable the business. It might sound a little cheesy, but we have to remember that. Um, when I first started my career, I I thought security, I thought we should be secure for security's sake, um, and it just doesn't work that way. So,
1: well, thanks, Drew. This is uh, this has been uh, Colorado Equals Security sitting with with. Um, Drew Labo, the uh, CISO from Denver Health, one of the superstars in Denver security. We're glad to have you, and we'll look forward to getting back with you guys next week to talk to yet another one of the superstars here in Denver. Thanks,
0: Thanks, Drew.
2: Thanks, guys.